Hello again, Moms That Lead. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have trouble speaking up about my skills and accomplishments. I don't really like, as we say in the U.S., tooting my own horn. Or as our guest from the other side of the pond would say, blowing my own trumpet. I often hope that people will just see it on their own and be as excited as I am about what we were able to get done. The problem with that is that a reluctance to really know your value in a way that allows you to share about it often limits the opportunities you have to actually share it. If people don't know what you can offer, you won't get as many chances to live out your unique purpose. What I love about our guest, Mary McGuire, is that she offers actionable tips that feel very authentic and comfortable. And much of it comes down to something that I think many of us really enjoy, building relationships. Mary has built an impressive international career and lifestyle as an expert in the field of transformation and female advancement. Using her skills and expertise gained from 30 years of working with global corporations and high-performing executives, she has distilled her learning into easily applied techniques and processes that she shares through her consulting and writing including her most recent book, The Female Edge. And stay tuned, because edge actually means something. She also has a fascinating backstory that shows that your past doesn't have to define your present or your future. I hope you enjoy our conversation. But before we get into it, let me introduce myself and the Moms That Lead movement. Are you ready to jump off the hamster wheel and finally listen to that voice inside that says you were meant for more? Are you ready to replace overwhelm with calm and clarity, self-doubt with confidence, and mom guilt with connection? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Moms That Lead podcast, where we know that moms have a unique ability to be world changers, and that leadership is not about position. But instead, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are a leader. I'm Terry Schmidt, your host and leadership mentor, determined to bring you the inspiration, motivation, and practical tips to help you live your best life. I'm a corporate leader and coach turned nonprofit founder. My family's journey to completing an Ironman triathlon changed my life forever, and I want to be your friend on the journey to gain the clarity, confidence, and connection that I gained from that experience. So if you're ready to ditch mom guilt and activate your strengths, let's jump in. Welcome, Mary, to the Moms That Lead podcast. We're excited to have you here today to learn more about you, learn more about your work and how you are helping female leaders. Thank you, Terry. I'm very excited to be here and be able to share my story with you and your listeners. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Yes. And I introduced you to my listeners, but I would love to hear from your perspective, a little bit more about your journey. Okay. Well, as you can hear from my accent, I'm the other side of the pond. So I'm over in England and I live in the central part of England in a a nice country area, Oxfordshire. My whole upbringing and my journey to where I am today was one that was filled with all sorts of challenges, Mm. all sorts of points where I really questioned what was going to happen for me. So we live in England now. I live with my partner, Joy, and we've, we've been back in England for about two years but we were in Ireland for about 10 years as well hence my Irish heritage (laughs) and um, 
talking of my heritage, um, I was brought up in, in Birmingham, which is the second city of England. It's just north of where I live now. Uh, big industrial city, very much like somewhere like Detroit, you know, so just grungy, dark, <laughs> heavy industry. And my parents came over from Ireland in the 50s, and I was the youngest of four children. And England at that time was very anti-Irish in the way that we have, you know, waves of anti-different immigrants that come into a country. At that time, it was very anti-the Irish. So it was a difficult time to be there and a difficult time to try and settle in and and find a home and bring up your family. And there were lots of um, difficulties for them. But they found a way through that. But by the time I arrived, their marriage car crash. I don't think it was ever great, but it was a complete car crash. So my father was a, a, an alcoholic by that point. My mother was living constantly with anxiety and having panic attacks and um, really, really struggling. One of my sisters had autism and was nonverbal. Mm. And so it was a pretty chaotic environment to be brought up in. And it was also an environment that didn't give any stability or foundation for you to build your confidence on. In mm. fact, it was quite the opposite, which is you felt very small, you felt very insignificant, and you felt like you really didn't have a have a voice in anything in any way. And as a result of that, I was bullied a lot at school and in the neighbourhood. We lived in some very rough neighbourhoods in the in the city because we could only afford the poorest housing mm-hmm. that immigrants got. So it was very it was very um, poor poor situation all around. But I think it taught me some important lessons that that upbringing and that starting life. And one of them is that your past does not need to define your present or your future. It's something that happens and it it needs some acknowledgement. You know, we can't ignore it completely, but we don't need it to be something that's, that's defining how we see the world now. Mm-hmm. And and I had to learn that. And I think one of the biggest, I left school with no qualifications as well. And I left school with no qualifications because there was no expectations of qualifications. Mm-hmm. My parents had both left school when they were 14. You know, their parents before them had probably left school between 12 and 14. And before then, they probably didn't have any education because they were in rural Ireland, very poor, hand-to-mouth existence. So it was just about getting by day to day. So when we were going through the school system, it was just, ah, you do your best, do your best. And then, you know, make yourself a, a good marriage and get a husband and look after the home and things. And then you've been a success in life. And then for my brother, it was like going to factory work or whatever you could get. And as long as you've got a job, you're doing well. So that was the limit of expectations. There was certainly no expectation of us thinking about our life in terms of more of a, a job that had meaning to us or mm-hmm. a career or a path that we were actually having an influence on where we went to and making decisions because that had not been their existence. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they couldn't provide opportunities and vision for us that they'd never seen themselves. Right. Yeah. So interesting, <laughs> an interesting start in life. Definitely. And just knowing... What I know about you from reading your book, which we'll talk about in a minute, I, I'm excited to hear how from that interesting start to your life, you then ended up and made the journey to where you are today. Well, as I said, there were some, in, there were some important decisions and then other experiences that I had that, that helped me along the way. And there's always people that help us along the journey. Some of them we were aware of and some of them were not. Certainly for me, I got a really, really strong nudge when I was about 18 that I needed to get out of the environment I've been brought up in in order to be able to make my own way in the world. Mm-hmm. And what that meant for me was moving away from the city mm-hmm. and my family as well. 
not necessarily cutting ties with them, but certainly not having them as a daily influence in my life because mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't healthy relationships. We didn't know how to relate appropriately to each other. So I moved into a um, living job in a hotel and worked that way and went season to season to different places. And then in one of them hotels, I met the person who was the love of my life and she was a chef in the in the hotel. And then we recognised that there was a, a strong attraction and we got together and that was 33 years ago. Wow. The significant thing there was that she believed in me in a way that nobody else had. You know, mm-hmm. she was constantly saying to me, look, you can do so much more. You're very bright. You know, you're, you're very intelligent. You need to think about education. So she was the one that pushed me back into education after I'd really bummed out of it in the worst possible way <laughs> <laughs> at the end of my high school high school experience. So it really helped me having that that emotional foundation and support and somebody who really believed in me. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the first time I'd experienced that. So I went back into education and I went back into a career that I felt was very suited to me and I felt very drawn to, which was social work. So my first degree was in social work and that's what I went into mm-hmm. and worked across, you know, from children and families and young children and families in crisis to young people, then to adults with difficulties and then older people. So I've worked across the spectrum there. And my sister was a big influence with that. I've mentioned my sister had autism Mm -hmm. and and I was very close to my sister. I loved her dearly. And she was a couple of years older than me, but she always felt like my younger sister because she was the one who always needed the support around her. And um, I think that she showed me that I could make a career in helping people and being there for them and make it meaningful. And for Mm -hmm. quite a long time, social work was meaningful for me and I went into the management of social care services so services for adults with autism Mm. and did a range of services and was the chief executive of a regional charity and loved that and found it very very fulfilling but I got to a point of thinking but what else could I do (laughs) what else could I do and social work per se did not feel like the right path because if you stay in the public services and I know it's the same in the US as it is here highly underfunded really real constraints about the resources that are available and you're constantly having to make decisions about who's in the worst situation of what are are all bad situations, but who's in the worst of the bad situations Mm -hmm. will help them and pick them out. So you knew you were leaving behind lots of people who needed support, but there wasn't the support, there wasn't the funding, there wasn't the opportunities. And I I really admire people who stay in social work for a long time because it is a really, really tough job, whether Mm -hmm. it's over there in the US or whether it's here in the UK, really tough job. And you have to find some motivation to accept all of the things that you can't do and just focus on the things you can. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was too big a a stretch. So that's why I went into the management of services so I could at least control the environments I created for for, for service users and loved that. When I started questioning, is this it or do I want to do some more? I I did my second degree, which was in business uh, Mm -hmm. and MBA, Masters in Business. And it was from there I thought, oh, there's a whole world of work which is nothing to do with social work and nothing to do with social care. And it's all about these industries that have these really interesting strategic questions. And I think I'd like to get involved in that. So from my MBA, I went into consulting and that's the backbone of what I've done for the last 20 years. What an interesting journey and just a wide array of experiences that you've had that I can see again now reading your book, how they've all kind of played into 
how you support female leaders and what you offer them through your consulting and, and through your writing. Yeah, absolutely. And the focus on female leaders has only happened over the last three to four years. Mm -hmm. But it came from that unique observer point of view that I had. So, you know, for the for the 16 years prior to that, I was going into these large companies. So household names that you that, that you, you would know and, and looking at some big strategic or operational change they were making and helping them to make that. Mm -hmm. Love the work. A lot of it working in large teams, coaching leaders, um, coaching coaching teams to help them to work their way through an issue or problem. But what I observed was that men were doing very well at going up the career ladder and the corporate ladder, particularly after, you know, successful landing projects. So they'd mm -hmm. land something very significant to the organization and you'd see them progress very quickly. And the women were not. Hmm. And the women were putting in as much, if not more effort to their, mm -hmm. to, to their delivery of things, but they weren't being recognized in the same way. And I just did not feel comfortable with that. And although I did a lot of work when I was working with women in the context of them environments, it wasn't something that was actually helping them to progress. They usually had to move out of the organization. And, and sometimes that is the only path. The other thing to say is, although I tend to look at this in the context of the corporate world, I'm really interested in female success full stop, mm -hmm. because I strongly believe if we have a more equal balance of leaders in the world, in the world of community service, in the world of the corporate world, in the public sector, if we have more balance, I just think we'd see better decisions made, which are serving the community and society at large better. Mm -hmm. So I think we, we, a gender balanced world equals a better world. Yes. Yes. Wholeheartedly agree. And, and we've done past episodes about just that, particularly the unique um, leadership skills that women do bring mm. to the world and, and why they are needed. And I love the idea of the balance because yeah. it, we're, we're not out here saying that those skills are the only skills that are needed mm. or that women are the only ones that have those skills, but there needs yeah. to be that balance. A balance, a, a balance for everyone. I think mm -hmm. it makes for, for a world. Absolutely. There are, without a doubt, there are some fantastic male leaders. This is not to say men are not good at leaders. We know that they are, but it, it, it shouldn't be the, it shouldn't be the assumption that only men are good leaders. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes what we're dealing with. Yes. And that, flows nicely into another question that I wanted to get your thoughts on. And that is with the female clients that you do work with, mm. what are some of the most common challenges that you see that they face and how do you help them overcome it? Yeah. Well, let me, again, this is my, this is where my social work training helped is when, when you, when you're training to be a social worker, you learn a lot about the whole socialization process, you know, how we learn as children and, and, and then grow through our different life stages. And the other thing you learn about is the socialization process. So how do we treat boys and how do we treat girls and what are the implied assumptions we're we're giving to them as they're growing up mm -hmm. and the, we know from research and, and very little of this has changed over the last 50 years even mm -hmm. but you could go back a lot longer is we expect men to be strong to be assertive to be competitive to you know be clear be very uh, very strong with their voice and how they explain things to people even a little bit of aggression is encouraged in men because it's a good thing because they can find their power 
when it comes to women and girls and how they're socialized, it's more, more to be gentle, to be nice, to be kind, to be considerate, to be supportive, to be cooperative, and to not make a fuss. And these are good qualities, but they, they're good qualities until they're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in both, in mm-hmm. both. And the other thing to say, because I know a lot of you listeners as mums is if mums are saying oh my god do I do that this socialization is not just in the family home it does happen in the family home but it happens everywhere Mm -hmm. it happens from the different generations of the extended family who come in and set expectations it's in the school system it's with their peers it's it's not something that's it's just one dimensional it's multi-dimensional and it is it and it's very strong how it structurally sets expectations so then turn that into 25-year-old man, 25-year-old woman in the workplace. And what you're seeing is different behaviours that are coming out. So mainly it's like, how do I get to my next stage as quickly as possible? How do I, how do I find the right person who will give me the support to move on quickly? How do I find the right thing so people know that I'm good at what I do? So they're constantly thinking about how do I move on quickly? Now, women are ambitious, and it's not that they don't think about how do I get on, but what they concentrate on, and this is what the research tells mm-hmm. us, is I must do a good job first before mm-hmm. I make any fuss. Mm-hmm. I must be really, really good at this job, and I must be as close to perfect as I can be before I go out and tell anyone the work I'm doing and that I'm doing that job and that I've done it, doing it well. And in fact, saying I'm doing it well is almost unladylike and I don't want to do that either. Mm. I want to just say to them, oh yeah, I delivered that project over there. Oh yeah, the one that had two million pound impact on the company. Yeah, yeah, I delivered that. And and it's like, and they somehow want whoever are the people in that audience of listening to them to be the ones that go, wow, that's amazing and take that and champion it for you. And you know what? They don't. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So learning how to own your brilliance as a woman is probably the biggest thing that I see um, the need to do. Mm-hmm. And owning your brilliance means that there's some value, there's some skills, there's some perspective, there's some unique talents you bring, which is why you have the role that you have and being comfortable saying, yep, I'm good at this and I mm-hmm. can do this. And let me tell you all of the things that I've done that add value as a result of what I do. Mm-hmm. But do it in a way that feels authentic and feels grounded in who I am as a person. And I know you talk in your book about competence versus confidence. Can you tell me a, a little bit more about how that plays in to some of the challenges that women may face? Yeah, a, a, a great a great nugget, a data nugget for that one is, is the one about who applies for what jobs. Mm. So a job comes up and if a man looks at that job and he looks at all of the criteria in the job and he can do maybe... of it, he goes, yep, I've got that off pat. I'm going to apply for that. I'm going to be a brilliant candidate for it. Why wouldn't they take me? And a woman will look at the same job requirements and go through it and think, actually, I can do 90% of that, but there's 10% of it I can't do. And they'll, so therefore they'll apply with a lot less confidence mm. and I'd really like to, and I think I can do it. And there's these things, but you have to know that there's this 10% I'm not sure about. So straight away, they come to the situation with a completely different set of energy. Mm. And, and, and I think that that's one of the challenges and, and on the other side of it. So from the business and organization side, what we do is we confuse if somebody comes up confident and say, yeah, I've got that. I can do that. And they've never done it, but they sound like they could have done it. 
we're more likely to pick them than the person who actually we've got a whole suite of data to tell us they can do it but they're saying yeah so I think I can do it yeah so we confuse the two and we actually have this bias towards confidence equals better leader competence means um less good leader and it's and and part of the way that plays into is there's a gender difference in how we add and how we show up as well so therefore that almost adds to that unconscious bias towards men as leaders. so what do we do about it then because i know you talk about it's not just about aping what we see as traditional male behavior or, you know, trying to imitate that. What is a woman leader to do to, I don't even know if I want to say get over that, but operate in the environment. Certainly reach the goals that they want to reach. Mm -hmm. So um, let me share some premises with you that I come Mm -hmm. from, and then I'll just share with you the model that I use to help women with it. Mm -hmm. But the premises that I come from when I'm helping women leaders are firstly, they don't need to know how to be good leaders. They've mm-hmm. already got the nuts and bolts of leadership sorted. As you say, women are as good as men in leadership and often have skills in the softer side of things, as we call it, which are often the harder side, which is the people <laughs> side and the and the team building and the collaboration building, which actually leads to higher performance. We already know that from the data. So it's not learning the skills of leadership. They know that. It's more about how do I navigate an environment where the playing field is uneven, Mm -hmm. where it's ever so slightly balanced against me. It's weighted more in the favour of my male colleagues and not weighted in the favour of me. So the awareness of having to navigate an uneven field in itself empowers women to make more informed decisions Hmm. it doesn't mean making a big deal about it or shouting or getting angry with with male leaders or male colleagues might do that but that won't (laughs) help Uh, but it's more like ah oh there are significant things I need to be aware of that might be getting in the way Mm -hmm. so that's the first one and then the second important premise I, I come from is success is an inside job Mm-hmm. So to be successful on the outside, to be successful in life, we need to be successful in terms of how we see ourselves. We need to be seeing ourselves as a person who is worthy of attention, is worthy of success, is, is, is worthy of acknowledgement of the work that we do and that it is of value. And we need to have a mindset which actually helps us to address some of the negative self-talk that gets in the way so the negative self-talk which says oh I can't do that 10% of the job they won't take me seriously because of that 10% you know we need to get rid of that little voice it's really Mm -hmm. not a helpful one but it's often there and the one that says I can't show anyone my job work until it's perfect it's not 100% perfect yet I'll have to hold on to it and keep going and going and going not helpful Mm -hmm. another voice need to get rid of it so how we learn to own that success is something we have to do on the inside, feeling good about who we are, feeling good about what we're about, feeling good about how we show up in the world. And then the next bit of it is, okay, what do women do? What will I actually do? So I use, the reason I called the book The Female Edge was because I use a four-stage model called the Edge Model. Mm -hmm. And um, in that, what I've done is I've put together from my coaching programs, I do individual coaching programs and group coaching programs. I just thought, actually, what are all the different models and tools and things that I use in that? Let me put them all in one place so that women could 
literally read the book Mm -hmm. and if they follow them they'd actually be getting quite a lot of the things Mm -hmm. that we cover in the coaching programs so the four stage model so the first one e is um evaluate what got you here so I use the metaphor of a career being a journey and we're all on a journey and we're all going in different directions and following mm-hmm. different paths. But often if we take stock of where we are, we might find that there's been influences in our career that have been helpful and things that have happened in our career that haven't been helpful. And maybe we've either been either very passive in our career and got to a point where it's actually not serving us, or we've been very active in our career, but maybe not used as many of the people around us who were helpers or potential allies or sponsors. Mm -hmm. So doing um, a career map, which is one of the tools that we use, actually just mapping out where have I gone to, what have been the different worlds, what's been positive, what's been negative, what can I take from that? And how does that help me understand what where I am today and how I got there? Mm-hmm. And then the D is for define where you want to go. So once you know where you are and how you got here, mm-hmm. you can start thinking about, well, where do I want to go from here? And goal setting is really, really powerful for success. What we know is if we aim for a goal and we only even get 80% of the way towards that goal, we're already 80% further on than we were before we set the goal. Mm -hmm. So goal setting is really powerful for us. So one of the the tools in the book is a vision and roadmap. Start to think about that vision and start to think about every aspect of your life, not just your career or your job in isolation, Mm -hmm. but that in relation to your family life, in relation to your community, in relation to finance, in relation to other things in terms of personal development goals you might have. So thinking of it in the round. Mm -hmm. And then the G is grow into your ideal leader. So what are the skills? What are the what are the tools? What are the mindsets I need to develop and the habits and maybe some new beliefs that will help me to grow into the leader that I want to see in the world and also the leader that becomes a role model for people around me? Mm -hmm. And then the final E is empower your success. So what are the things that I can do to help me to be as successful as I can be in my chosen career journey? And a lot of the empowering is actually helping by actually getting people around you who are naturally supporters and will enable and help you. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like an ally network is really, really a powerful mm-hmm. one for that. Mm-hmm. So that's the four stage model. And the idea of it is going inward, understanding who I am, what I'm about, and what I want to achieve so I can go outward and confidently go and achieve that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and so simple and easy to remember as well. And in the book, you have so many wonderful tools and exercises that really dig into each of those that are, I think, easy to do and that they're very accessible. They do, but deep enough that they take some time and and you really get a lot of value out of them. Yeah, yeah. And again, yes, the third premise would be, and I never mentioned that at the beginning, was um, mm-hmm. I've been a transformation consultant and coach for a long time now. And is what I absolutely know is transformation and change happens through action Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen through ideas it doesn't even happen through beliefs it doesn't even happen through reflection it happens through what we do with what we've discovered so every chapter has a practical tool at the end of it to do because it's only through action through actually doing something that we actually learn 
Very true. Do you have a favorite story of a client that you worked with that you're able to share going through this process and what transformation happened as a result of that? Yeah, I've got one from from last year. I'll change your name to Diane. So Diane came to me and she'd, she I, she was one of these women who'd worked on a big project, mm-hmm. done a, a huge amount of work. I, I was the change uh, director on the project, was really impressed with her work and had been sort of implied promises from the organisation about, you know you'll do really well and we'll really look after you Mm -hmm. and when she came out of the project she was sidelined and then but there was other people who did get promoted Mm -hmm. who I have to say didn't provide as much value as her so she was sidelined and to be fair she still had a good job it was it was a a senior a senior um, job in the organization but she felt like she hadn't really been heard or her work hadn't been valued so she came to me and we went through a, a, a coaching program together And there was a couple of things that actually helped her to think about where do I want to go next? One of the models I have in the book is the career compass. The idea of a compass is, as I said, the metaphor I use is the career as a journey. So whenever you're on a journey, you have a map and Mm -hmm. you if you're doing hiking or, or anything like that, and then you usually need the compass as well. So, you know, directionally where you're going. And I use the idea of compass because it's very good at working out your values once we know our values, our values really help us to navigate where we want to go mm-hmm. and what feels good to us and right to us and serves us and what doesn't. So it's a, a really helpful exercise for that. So it, that was one of the exercises that Diane did. And as a result of that, she was able to understand that what she wanted to do was a role that actually served employees in a different way. Hmm. She wanted to be able to not just help them with, you know, the general everyday stuff around business, but actually dug in much deeper to their well-being because well-being was one of her key characteristics and key values Mm -hmm. and she felt she every time she tried to move into that for the organization and she did put together during the coaching program she put together a proposal she went to the group ceo said i think we ought to do this wasn't taken it was enthusiastically received but wasn't taken up Mm. so another example of real talent here showing you what they can do not listening and so we talked about, well, what else? What else could she do? And the mindset stuff we worked on was her realising how big the role was that she could do mm. because she was doing a good role now, but it was very regional, it was very specific in a business area. And I says, no, I think you need to go for a global role that actually affects all of the employee base and it can actually deepen drilling to where you're passionate and mm-hmm. what, what will actually get you going. So she started looking around, but she was very discerning about the type of organisation she wanted to work for. The significant thing she had to think about as a mother of two young children, Mm -hmm. so she didn't want a long commute and she didn't want to have to be office-based all the time, but still allowed her to have this global base. And as a result of the work we did and the mindset and the financial bit, because Mm -hmm. I said, look, you need to pitch yourself financially at 40% above your current salary Hmm. because that's what you'll be worth Mm -hmm. and we worked on that as well and in the end she did and I think she got 50% above Um, actually actually wrong there I think I I said 40% I I actually said it was 80% above her current salary and she got 100% she doubled her salary in the next role but she got one which was a a chief role looking after all of the organization's people side of things in a a technology um, sector, so a sector she wanted to go in as well. 
and and the career compass was the I think that was the thing that unlocked it for her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just being able to dig into her values in that way and determine what she wanted yeah yeah that's so powerful I think it's also because we live in a world that is full of distractions, you know, and, you know, we have social media pinging all the time and we have people saying, have you seen about this? And lots of emails coming in about you need to do this and this is the next big thing. We can get completely overwhelmed. And I think when you hone things down to what's really important for me, you can actually allow yourself to um, ignore an awful lot of them distractions does it serve me does it serve my values does it serve the goals that I set for myself we still get distracted I still get days where mm-hmm. I'm distracted without a doubt and I recognize that I think oh this is a distraction day mm-hmm. um, but in the main you know I, I can I can screen it out and that's what I'm trying to help my clients do as well is is screen out you know all of the distractions and just be really clear that's why the journey is so important is Mm -hmm. when we start a journey we don't say I'm gonna drive to Denver and I'm gonna drive to Boston and I'm gonna drive to San Francisco on the same journey we Mm -hmm. say which one are we going to and we're not going to take all the other routes because they sound like interesting road signs we're going to go to the one place but in our in our life which is based on this very noisy social media world it can be very difficult Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. We talk about that a lot and about how having that clarity around your values and around your strengths and around your passion can help you to prioritize and also help you to say no uh, gracefully and in a way that is helpful both to you and, and most likely the party that you're saying no to as well. Definitely. I'm curious, you know, your story about her essentially doubling her salary and then, you know, what we talked about earlier about women sometimes not wanting to own or kind of proclaim their own success or like I've heard you say, you know, blow your own trumpet. How do you help women to do that in the right way? Because I know that, you know, our audience has asked about that. That's something that Mm -hmm. they sometimes struggle with is how do I get beyond that fear and do that in a way so Mm -hmm. that it is authentic, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned. So let me give you a, a fairly concise answer now, but we might look at that as a mm-hmm. separate episode in its own right, because mm-hmm. I think there's various aspects of this, but the concise answer for now. Um, actually, let me start with a story and mm-hmm. then I'll uh, and then I'll answer it. So many years ago, when I was in my first management and um, it was in the social care sector, I recognised that our staff team, because we were in a highly specialised, it was the first time they'd created this kind of service, which was an autism specific one. Mm. And I came in as the new manager of that service. And I recognised that our staff team needed a different kind of development to what the general organisation was doing, which in the main was for older people different care model Mm -hmm. different issues so I created a whole series of things which is why I was better suited in the long term for consulting rather than social work very systems (laughs) thinking very structural so a career model a a set of competencies around it and a set of training around that about what are the trait what are the skills we need how do we train them how do we build that up and then how do we put a performance management system around it quite sophisticated for this time (laughs) Um, but I did that just because that was naturally how I thought about things and I remember presenting it to my manager she loved it she thought it was great yeah we got the funding we started to bring the specialized training in we needed introduced the new standards to the staff great and then a few months later I was at one of our area manager meetings so that meant all of us um, residential managers with our area manager and the group CEO were at a Mm -hmm. meeting 
And in that meeting, the group CEO was saying about how all the work was doing and how pleased they were. And then they 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 called out this new new staff model and the new development model. And they called out my line manager and said how well she had done in creating this model, was a woman manager. And um, I was in the meeting and I was waiting for her to look at me and say, ah, oh, but that wasn't me, that was Mary, or it was us together even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she didn't. She just glowed mm. in the glory of his, <laughs> his praise and never said a word. And at that time, I remember, I mean, shocked at the time. And then as I came away from the meeting, angrier and angrier that that had happened. And what I say to women is it's too late at that point. It's too late to hold your hand up and say, hold on, that was my work. What are Mm -hmm. you smiling for? Don't you mean it was me? (laughs) Because it it never comes across well when Mm -hmm. you're doing it. It's too late by that point. And I realise that now. And I I learned as a result of that never to be in that position again. So some important things from that one is um, not claiming your brilliance and your glory doesn't mean it doesn't get claimed. (laughs) Just (laughs) means it doesn't get claimed by you. (laughs) Somebody notices the work and somebody says, oh, gosh, isn't that great? And somebody says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's part of my area, my team. Mm -hmm. You know, they feel good about it, even if they didn't personally do the work. Mm -hmm. So not only your brilliance doesn't make the world a better place. It just means that you give somebody else an opportunity to take (laughs) your work. So have that in your mindset when you're thinking, oh, I shouldn't. In terms of how to make people aware of it in a way that feels right is I really talk about, and I've got one of the chapters in the book looks at this, the ally network. Mm -hmm. So I talk about what do I mean by an ally? Um, Who could you see as your allies? How do you recruit your allies? And how do you work up that relationship? That's the first bit. The second bit is we do need to have a bit of an understanding of our own personal brand. Mm-hmm. And I know that becomes like quite an uncomfortable thing, especially if we're not in a in a big corporate world. It's like, oh, it feels a bit too salesy. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is people want to know who you are and what you stand for. So the mm-hmm. other thing, again, I, I say in the book, I have three elements to four elements actually to an elevator pitch. But having some idea of some pithy statements about who you are when you mm-hmm. meet people of influence, who you want them to know who you are and it to be memorable Mm -hmm. so thinking thinking about a brand and owning it in a way that feels comfortable but does some work on it Mm -hmm. before you're in a situation where you meet some deep influence really helpful but going back to the ally bit so how allies help there's a number of things one of them is is that they can be the voice in the room for you when you're not in the room Hmm. so one of the classic ones is if you're in a situation where you're outcomes in your career in terms of your your next promotion or your salary increase is in it is made by a group of people who don't normally work with you on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. then you need to think about who of them people who would be in the room making that decision do I need to start building a relationship with so they know who I am Mm -hmm. without it being overly pushy it could be virtual coffees now we're more zoomified Mm -hmm. it could be just a quick uh, a quick hello in the corridor when we get back to some sort of office work Uh, or it could be a meeting up for a coffee and just saying I'd love to hear more about your work and what you're doing I'd love to just tell you what I'm doing Mm -hmm. but just building connections that people just become aware of you and what you do and and even if they're two, three, four levels above you in an organisation, reaching out and saying, I'd love to chat to you. I'd love to find out what you're doing. I'd love to just share some of my work. Most people will say yes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll get a no, but even a no is helpful because you think, okay, well, they're not going to be an ally. True. So reaching out to people. 
And then the second part of that in terms of allies is, is when you know it's something that can have a longer term relationship. So it's not a one and done conversation because mm-hmm. sometimes it is a one and done and you accept that and it's done. Mm-hmm. But where you know you could actually continue the conversations is make sure to just follow up with them every few months. How mm-hmm. are you doing? This is what I've been working on. This bit was really fun. This bit was really challenging. What about you? What are you working on? Or asking them for help. I've hit a real um, issue here in a particular piece of work. And I know that you did something like this a few years back. Could I just meet with you and talk it through? Mm -hmm. And going with and ask, as humans, we love to be asked for help because it's like, oh, somebody recognizes I can help them. It doesn't matter how senior we are in an organization. Mm -hmm. So asking for help is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so thinking of allies beyond your immediate line manager or the person you report to and thinking of that wider and thinking of the people who could advocate for you on a on a on a wider uh, network is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is just be good at networking outside of your organisation as well. What are the professional bodies? What are the community groups? What are the other places you can go? Because here's the thing: is the more comfortable you become with networking, the easier it is, and then the easier it is for you to actually have conversations with people who you don't know very well, but you can build bridges with. The more bridges you build the less likely it is for other people to claim your glory. Mm -hmm. So going back to my scenario, if I'd have been better at that in the first place, not only would not that group CEO have have not have sent the praise in the wrong way, but I wouldn't have had to raise my voice because two or three other people in the room would have said, oh, that's very good that you've mentioned that such and such did the work. But I think I remember Mary coming to me when we were developing it. I think Mary's actually had a say in this. So I wouldn't have had to say words Mm -hmm. because there would be allies around who would have helped me. Yeah. So that was a big lesson from my early career that I really encourage women to do now. That is so true. And and not the answer that I necessarily would have expected first asking the question about how you are honest and vocal about what you've accomplished. But I love it because I think it plays so much more into those, like we were talking about soft skills Mm -hmm. that sometimes women may feel more comfortable with in that it's all about relationship building. Yeah. And it's, it's natural. It's easy to be authentic. And I, I think it's just a really beautiful way to make sure that your value is seen. And and I bet in that ally network too, sometimes they may be seeing value in you that you may not even see. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. And that yeah. can then add to your confidence as well mm. as add to your reputation. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Well, thank you for sharing that. That inspired me uh, to continue to put effort into that ally network. There's one question that we ask all of our guests on season two of Moms That Lead, and that is, what is the leadership lesson that you feel most passionate about passing on, whether that be to women that you're working with as clients or those that you lead or even just people in the community? If you had to select one leadership lesson, what would it be? It would be ditch the perfectionist. Mm. Um, and so what and what that means if I if I unpack that a bit further Mm -hmm. it means feeling okay when things go wrong Mm. and feeling okay with failure so what we talk about in 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 uh, business is failing fast 
so I go back to things like, you know, when you're bringing your, 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 your toddler up and they're learning to walk, that it's not a one and done. It's not, oh, right, I'm ready to get on my legs now. Right, legs work, I'm going to walk. <laughs> it, it takes them thousands and thousands and thousands of attempts to get to a point where they have the, the, the muscle strength, then they have the balance, and then they are able to work out how to walk. We see <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Yet when we're in business or when we're when we're in life, we think, oh, I have to be able to do everything perfectly first time. Mm-hmm. It's like that's just not the way the world is, and that's not why our learning is. So feeling comfortable that things go wrong at times and not beating yourself up about it, learning from it, reflecting, thinking, oh, I wouldn't do that again. That didn't go very well. That's fine. But 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 not allowing it to almost defeat you and then mm-hmm. feel that I can't I can't do anything more, I can't show my face anymore. It's fine. And actually showing that I made a mistake here, that didn't do well, I've learned from it. People really respect that. Mm-hmm. So feeling comfortable with some element of failure and some element of challenge and ditching the perfectionist. Mm-hmm. That's great. Definitely difficult to do, but mm. so worthwhile, like you said. And I think if you are then as a leader, sharing the fact that you did make a mistake and what you learned from it, you're, you are then helping those that you lead to learn from that mistake as well without having to go through it themselves. Yes. Yeah. That's great. And, and also indicate to them a tolerance for them to a certain extent mm-hmm. for their mistakes. Now, there's always a level of it goes beyond the tolerance and it's so big a mistake, it clearly can't. Be. Right, but the right. majority of our mistakes are actually quite small or things that, ooh, ooh, I'll do that again. And it's like recognize now our mistakes, learning from it and, and sharing it with people means that there's a tolerance for if you get something wrong, let's just work it through and see what you've learned mm-hmm. from it and do it better next time. So it, it creates a much um, more accepting and empowering environment for the, for the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I think that's also applicable in the home too, as well. As many of our listeners are moms, I think yeah. the ability to, as a parent, be able to say, I did this, I know it was yeah. a mistake, and this is what I learned from it, can yeah. make so that your kids feel okay about doing the same thing and mm. and are learning faster than they would if they were trying to not make any mistakes ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, I know there are so many more topics that we probably could have a single episode on each of the topics. So hopefully we'll be able to reconnect and and get you back on Moms That Lead. But until then, I I strongly encourage all the listeners to go out and get your book, The Female Edge, and, and look through it and read through it and use those exercises because I think there's a lot of value to be had. Where else, what else do you have going on and where can people find you if they're looking to learn more about your work? So I have a number of regular blogs and newsletters and I've got a webinar series coming out as well. And all of that information is going to be on my main coaching site, which is findyourjoyfullife.com. It's a very long address, but it's not when you split it down into a <laughs> sentence. So find your joyfullife.com. And in there, also some of the uh, tools from the book are, are downloadable as well. And uh, some, some of the webinars that we've held so far recordings are on there, as well as the blogs. And the blogs cover a lot of the stuff from the book, as well as other, other areas as well. Oh, well, that's so generous of you. Thank you for sharing your expertise and your experiences 
And we'll make sure that that link is in the show notes. So very easy for everyone to access. But again, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for sharing with us. I know I learned a lot and I'm sure the audience did as well. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure and an honor for me as well. So thank you very much, Terry. And if we do get an opportunity to chat again in a future show, I would love it. So do you feel more ready and inspired to share your value with the world? Here are some takeaways from our conversation. Number one, your past does not need to define your present or your future. Number two, A world in which leadership is more gender balanced is a better world. Number three, not claiming your brilliance doesn't mean that it doesn't get claimed. It just means it doesn't get claimed by you. Number four, transformation happens only through action. And number five, building relationships or an ally network is one of the best ways to make sure that your value is shared with the world. I challenge you. Pick one new person this week to ask to coffee or to lunch in order to build a new bridge. Use one of the prompts that Mary shared, and let's see how we can make it easier to share our value with the world. We'll be back with you on October 27th to continue our quest to unlock the leadership power of healthy, purpose-driven moms. Have a wonderful two weeks. And as always, until next time, lead with love. 